Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. When you think about the question of spiritual legacy, the impact that one person, one man, well, frankly, all of us can have on those whose lives we touch every day and the impact that our example can be, well, probably one of the most incredible names in the arena of tremendous spiritual legacies, particularly here in California, is that of Pastor Chuck Smith. And for those perhaps not old enough to remember, um, God used him in a very significant way in Southern California. It was in the middle of the Vietnam War, uh, the so-called hippie generation. Um, There were a lot of people at that period of time, perhaps not unlike today, that were really seeking something solid in their life. They, They knew that there was a disconnect. They weren't quite sure where that disconnect was happening. They just knew that they wanted something real, something significant, something that they could latch onto and literally build their lives upon. And Pastor Chuck Smith was wise enough to take the gospel message to where those people were, even if it meant being out on the beaches of Costa Mesa and sharing the good news of Christ. And of course, the spiritual legacy that he has left, not only with the impact of Calvary Chapel, but of course, Calvary Chapel's all across the country and the globe is being felt to this very day. Part of that spiritual legacy joins us now. He is the lead pastor of Calvary of Hayward and Pastor Paul Stockinger. Great to have you with us today. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Um, uh, all that you said about Pastor Chuck, I, I could go on and on about uh, how exactly that happened for me Uh but uh, yeah, it's really good to be here on. Uh, well, let's take advantage of that sort of that that opening uh, remark. Then give us some sense. How did it all happen for you? Give us a little bit of the the glimpse into your your own spiritual journey. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Fremont. I've uh, been a Bay Area guy my whole life, and uh, up through high school and early college, uh, no relationship with God. I always believed in Him, but but. Uh, once I got into high school and college, it was uh, promiscuity, drugs, alcohol, all that kind of stuff. And I got saved on the campus at San Jose State University. A guy from Campus Crusade for Christ witnessed to me, and I was I was uh, low fruit, ready to come because I was just going through stuff. And the gospel sounded awesome to me, and so I prayed to receive Jesus. But then I blew the guy off because he was doing his best to to try to. Uh, get me connected and but it was I was a little bit scared shortly after that I found KFAX and I have no idea how the Lord just led me to KFAX and uh, so much foundation of my Christian understanding came through listening to KFAX regularly in between classes while I still went to San Jose State uh, for probably five main shows that just so helped me. The Bible answer man steered me clear of so many wrong ideas. And I'm so appreciative of that. But then the four teachers were of course, Jay Vernon McGee, Charles Stanley, Chuck Swindoll and Chuck Smith. Um, And I listened to those guys as much as I could Monday through Friday. And, uh, Unfortunately, it was for a couple of years without going to church at all. 
And then finally, there was a period where I realized I need to go be at church. I want to go be at church. I need to go meet other Christians. I knew a few, but not too many. But the foundation was laid. And so when it was time to look, I knew what I wanted. I knew what I was hungry for. And I, but I didn't know how to look. And so I, I would look up some of those guys that I listened to and figure, say, is there a church like that? And because Calvary Chapel um, had so many and was a movement, and I really liked just that simple verse by verse of Pastor Chuck, I looked for a Calvary Chapel and I was in Fremont, but there wasn't one there yet. And so this was like 1993 or four or something like that. And it did not occur to me that I could go look in another town, just literally no clue that I could go drive somewhere else. So I just kind of bounced around for a while. Well, uh, shortly after that, I, an old friend I had encountered, um, I befriended again and uh, witnessed to her and uh, she came to the Lord and she was living out in Livermore. So I, I said, well, hey, I'll help you look, for, even though I wasn't going to church, I said, I'll help you find a church out here. And, and at the time, uh, Cornerstone Fellowship out there was affiliated with Calvary Chapel at the time. And when I found out, here's a Calvary Chapel affiliate, I said, oh, I'm going to go there. So a long story short, I went there, got fully immersed, met my wife, uh, and uh, was immersed into Calvary Chapel. And then... Um, uh, after a few years in 1997, when, when Calvary Chapel Fremont got started, um, I had an opportunity and an open door to go be the youth pastor there. I'd been working with the youth at Cornerstone for a couple of years as a volunteer. And, and uh, Pastor Tim Brown was mm -hmm. had just planted the church and, and uh, he was looking for a youth pastor and the Lord just opened the door. And so I became uh, the youth pastor there and was there for eight years as the youth pastor and uh, and then uh, the Lord was just pulling on my I knew I was going to be a senior pastor. I just felt like the Lord was leading me that way. And so in 19, wait, what year was it? 2005, we planted uh, Calvary Chapel Hayward. And so all that to say, I love Christian radio. I, I attribute so much to Christian radio. Um, but as, as, uh, uh, everyone hopefully knows it's it's uh, it's not the it, it, Christian radio um, helps out the church. It doesn't replace the church. And I I so love it. I wouldn't be where I am probably without having learned what I learned on on Christian radio. And uh, I I want I want that to continue. I want it to continue to just bless people and encourage people but even more than that to move people to go yeah go touch people in real life and not just over the air all the time or online so yeah but i'm still going strong after all these years and i'm it really is crazy i'm on i'm on the air and i would listen to those guys and i think man those guys are just feeding me and i'm just so blessed to be able to hear this and now i get to be interviewed on here and just i don't know pretty really cool 
You know, you you read that script just exactly the way I wrote it. I appreciate that. No. <laughs> well, we we appreciate the kind words, but you're right. At the end of the day, you know, it it it's simply another means of delivery, another platform. And you know, when when God charged the disciples with the responsibility of going into all the world and preaching the gospel, speaking of spiritual legacies, wow, you know, clearly the impact of ministries like Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel has has had a a spiritual imprint on your adult life, almost your entire adult life, and and yet, wow, think of the legacy of the the disciples. Pastor Stockinger, let's spend a moment and talk a bit about Calvary Chapel of Hayward. Um, you shared some of the roots of the founding of the church. For folks that are maybe new to the San Francisco Bay Area, looking for a, a church home, maybe they've just recently relocated or uh, are in a position where the family is growing and they're looking for a church that can better suit their needs. Tell us a bit about what's God doing at Calvary of Hayward. Well, um, let me just say a little bit about our church and then what we're, what, what God's doing. But we're we're a pretty small church um very uh casual uh so if you were to come here you'd uh the front of our 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 uh the front of our building it's it's a storefront it doesn't look like much it's relatively small when people come here they they either park on the street or in the bank next door the bank's uh uh gracious enough to let us do that and so it doesn't look like much but when you walk in it's it's uh casual it's warm our church is very welcoming. I, I, I'm always amazed how God, it's one of those things that I feel like God, uh, it, the, the body of Christ is so cool because you see, uh, lackings in one area made up for in another area. And I, I'm the kind of person that's not, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good one-on-one, but when it comes to group settings and stuff, I'm very comfortable behind the pulpit just cause I've been doing it for so long. But, but I just, gathering in a crowd. I'm not real good at that, but our church so makes up for that. We have so many warm and friendly uh, and outgoing people in our, in our little church. And, and it's cool. Um, two, probably two of the, the coolest things that I'm looking forward to and excited about right now in our church is uh, we've been doing a Saturday morning men's Bible study for uh, a number of years um, it's had different, uh, you know, seasons of things that we do. And in the last few months, we've been just kind of wondering, uh, how to stir it up, how to mix it up again. So we've been praying about it. And, um, what we decided on is starting in March, we're going to, it was just a men's Bible say we t- have guys take turns, but what we've decided on is, uh, we want to make a concerted effort to, uh, leadership training for men for the men in our church i got my eye on the younger guys i just want to see some of these younger guys step up and we have some we have some uh younger guys in our church that are uh, already serving and i want to pour into them more but but some of the other guys and and uh so there we have guys i look at them and i know they already have giftings they just need a little bit more training and so what we're, our Saturday morning is going to be, we're going to do things like teach guys how to prepare a Bible study, teach guys how to, uh, lead a Bible study, uh, uh, challenge guys with, uh, serving in ways that 
you know, stretch them a little bit or that they wouldn't have thought of simple stuff like, hey, why don't you uh, commit to cleaning after church? It is super simple stuff. Anyone can clean. Um, and and then uh, as we do that, whatever the Lord does with it, I'll, I'll be praying and have my eyes on like how to challenge guys. If maybe there's a future elder in there somewhere, maybe there's somebody like that. But um this is just one of those things I I'm, I'm 51 years old and I've been pastoring here for 18 years and it was a youth pastor for eight years before that. And I'm like, I've never really made a real strong purposeful effort on that uh, to like, go, okay, I'm going, I'm going after, I'm going to go after guys now, guys that are already here. They're already part of our church, but I want to uh, go after them. And I know it's going to take the Holy spirit to do that, but, but, I'm going to give them a, a chance to do that. So this is something we're going to start. And uh, I think it was birthed out of prayer. And so I think he's going to, the Lord's going to do something with it. For folks that are listening that say, gee, you know, I like what I hear. I'd love to go and check out the church. I know that you meet at 1244 B Street. Yeah, it's east of Foothill. So we're right near the corner of 2nd and B Street. 2nd and B Street in Hayward. And again, you can get information on the web at calvaryhayward.com. That's calvaryhayward.com. Service times Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. And then uh, Wednesday night midweek fellowship at 7 p.m.? Right, right. Our Wednesday night, we go through the Bible. Uh, we try to we try to tackle a couple of chapters a week. Pastor Paul Stockinger, we appreciate so much your time and uh, spending a bit of it with us today. Thank you. It's been great to be here. So one of the great themes of, maybe the great theme of the book of Philippians is joy. Uh, it, and joy is not just something that we can have. It's also something that we can do. It's something that we can pursue. And the Apostle Paul, really everything he's been talking about up to this point in the book has something to do with joy. He's been talking about different ways that we can enjoy joy, that we can pursue it. He, he talked about uh, knowing that God's going to complete the good work uh, that he began in us. That leads to joy. Knowing that the gospel is still being preached, even though he's locked up in jail, is a joyful thing. Being committed to the gospel produces joy in our lives. Being focused on others and not just ourselves, that's a thing of joy. And dropping all the complaining and arguing that uh, maybe we're used to, that also leads to joy. These are all things that will lead to joy, that will encourage us having joy in our lives. And in our passage today, he's going to press this point even more. And he begins by making the point that Uh, the encouragement to rejoice in the Lord cannot be overstated. Verse 1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So it's interesting that he begins with the word finally here, uh, because we're only a little bit more than halfway through the book. So I guess pastors have had a hard time knowing how to finish for a long time. But um, And so... Here's the point he makes. He says, rejoice in the Lord. He lets them know. I know I've been saying this a lot. I know I keep beating on this, and I've already said it, but it's not tedious. Uh, It's not a bother for me to say this over and over again. In fact, it's safe. It's safe for you. It's good for you to hear over and over. The word safe uh, there means 
firm or confirmed. And he's saying, I, I want this idea to be firmly settled in your mind, in your thinking. I want to confirm often, I want to confirm in every situation that rejoicing in the Lord is a good thing. It's always a good thing. And, and so I'm going to keep saying it. And so what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, it, it simply, there's different ways to define it, but if we want to just, in a simple way, it means to be happily excited. That's what it means. Be excited and be happy. Be happy and be excited about the Lord. Now, there's lots of things in life that a person can get excited about, right? There's all kinds of stuff you can get excited about, you can be happy about. You get a new job. Maybe you get a new car. You get a new house. You get a raise at your, at your job. You enter into a new relationship. Maybe you have a new child. You know, maybe you complete a goal. Maybe uh, your sports team is successful. Maybe you're successful. Maybe your child is successful. These are all things to be excited about. And, and, you know, maybe something that you've been going through that's difficult has finally been resolved. You know, maybe you get, a vac- you get to go on vacation. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can be hype, happy and excited about. And, and, but the thing is, is, these things all come and go. For every, time, for every one that comes, it eventually goes. And they might be exciting and rejoice-worthy when they come, but they're also going to wane. And so then with it, the excitement wanes. And so Paul says, hey, let me tell you something to rejoice in, to be thrilled about, to be excited about that never wanes. And it's the Lord. Be excited, be happy, be blessed about Jesus. You know, when you think about the Lord, when you think about him, do it with excitement. Do it with, with rejoicing. And if you're lacking in joy, if one of those other things happened, you know, okay, I didn't get a job, I lost a job. Well then, you know, if you're lacking in joy because of that, well then put your focus on the Lord. Be excited that the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, He's come. He brought salvation. Let your heart be thrilled and, and that He offered you eternal life as a free gift. You don't have to do anything for it, just receive it. That and, and, that, and then be excited that he said, I'm with you always, till the very end of the age, forever. Be excited that he said, I'm coming again. Rejoice about him. Rejoice about the Savior, Jesus, and how good he is. And, and then because, unlike all those other things that we mentioned, all those other things that we can get fired up about, but they end, they wane, because Jesus never ends, and his promises never change, and he never changes, that his promises are certain. Paul says, I I could never stop saying this. There would never be a situation where that wouldn't wouldn't be an appropriate thing to say, or a good thing to say, or a helpful thing to say. There's not a situation that could happen that that it wouldn't be helpful to tell somebody, rejoice in the Lord. Now, you might have to you know, figure out timing and stuff like that and how to say it, but it's always appropriate. And, and, he's, and so that's why he says, I'm going to just keep saying it over and over. I'll never get tired of saying it. No, no amount of saying this to a believer is too much. When all those other situations that only excite for a little while, when they fail, 
we can still rejoice in the Lord as much as ever, and it doesn't matter. And because joy is found in Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he's done, what he still promises to do, look, look at him like that. Paul, Paul said this in a way that to him it was like just so obvious. He, he didn't have to, I'm, I'm saying more than he said as it relates to why we should. He didn't even have to go into all. It was just obvious. It's like going in to a six-year-old's bedroom on Christmas morning and saying, all you have to say is, it's Christmas. You don't have to tell them to rejoice. You don't have to tell them, just tell them, it's Christmas. And what's going to happen? You know, that's it. Right on. Yes, it's Christmas. And that's the way Paul, Paul saw it. But we don't always see it like that. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes because of those other things, we get focused on them and the things of life. And then we forget that it's not as big as Jesus is. And so we forget to rejoice in the Lord. And so that's why we need to be told over and over. That's why we need to be told, you know, like uh, another situation with a kid. I've seen this happen. I may or may not have been involved, but I was at Disneyland and you have in your Disneyland and it's the happiest place on earth. But there's a little kid and you have to tell that little kid, stop crying. Stop whining. We're at Disneyland, right? That actually has to be said sometimes. And, and for us, you know, okay, it is hard to lose a job. It is hard when money's tight. It is hard when our health goes downhill. It, it's hard watching the world fall apart and, you know, wondering how much freedom will we have next week compared to today. It's hard. These things are difficult. But, but it's still completely appropriate to say Rejoice because of Jesus. And if somebody says that to you when you lose your job, if they say, if you lost your job and someone says, man, just keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't blow them off. Don't roll your eyes. What they're saying is true. You know, if if money's really tight and you're like, well, just focus on Jesus. He's still good. He's still for you. He's still, don't, don't act like, oh yeah, you're just going to sit. It's still true. It's still meant to uh, move you. Rejoice in the Lord. Look at him. Rejoice. Now, the fact that Paul says this over and over and tells us that he's going to say it over and over, then, and, and that Christians do this too, and pastors say it all the time from the pulpit too, you know, it should make it simple, right? You've heard it enough times, just rejoice in it, right? It should just be simple, right? I mean, what's the problem? Just rejoice, okay? Right? What's the problem? Well, that's a good question, right? What is the problem? And, and he deals with that. That's a good portion of what this passage is about. What's the problem if it's that simple? And it is. So what's the problem? And the first problem is that we need to beware of people and beware of ideas that would rob us of joy. There are people and there are ideas that rob us of joy. It says in verse 2, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we're we're the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And so here Paul begins to tell of a couple of great threats against simply rejoicing in the Lord. And the first, and he he, he names them. He says, beware of dogs. So there it is. 
If you have a dog, get rid of it. Get a cat. You'll have joy. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I like cats. I like dogs. No, he's speaking here of the Judaizers. They were called the Judaizers. These were Jews who said, believing in Jesus, yeah, that's good. You're on the right track there. You know, that's good. Jesus is fine. But you also need to follow all the rules, keep all the laws, do all the rituals, keep all the traditions. If you want to really be saved, truly be saved, you need to do that. That's basically in a nutshell what they were about. And Paul had some choice things to say about them. The very first thing he said about them is he says, those guys are dogs. They're dogs. They bark and they bark and they snap at you with their teeth and they growl and they're They're dogs. And then he says, then they're evil workers. Evil because they're, here they are. They're taking the simple gospel, the beautiful message that faith is a free gift or uh, salvation is a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ for any sinner, no matter how godless they are, that anyone, no matter how irreligious or whatever, or religious, can just be saved by faith in Jesus. And they take that, and they convolute it, and they twist it, and they make it more difficult, they make it unreachable, and because of that, they, they they take all the joy out of it. And Paul says, that's evil. That is an evil work that they're doing. Watch out for that. And then he also calls them the mutilation. And this is interesting because in Greek, it's a play on words. Circumcision was part of the covenant for the nation of Israel. That was part of their covenant for the nation. And, but it's not part of the covenant for believers in Jesus. That's not part of it at all. But these Judaizers came along and said, no, you have to be circumcised. If you're, Yeah, trust Jesus, but you better also get circumcised too. And they completely obsessed over it. They just pounded, harped on that. And so the word Paul used here is, beware of the concision. And it means mutilation instead of circumcision. They're harping on the circumcision, but what they are is their, their concision. In other words, Paul, he's saying is these Judaizers and their insistence on circumcision is as good as mutilation. You know, the, the circumcision that God instituted for Israel was a, 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 a sign that they really are part of this covenant, have a relationship with God. But Paul says the way they treat it is, it's nothing more than just bodily mutilation. That's all it is. And, and Paul says, you need to beware of these guys. Watch out for them. Watch out for their wrong teaching. Now the thing is, is these people still exist today. Uh, they might not be called Judaizers, uh, but they still do the same types of things. They might not be demanding circumcision, but they demand all kinds of other stuff. We usually call them legalistic, you know, and they push all kinds of rules. They, they take some twist, they twist the scripture, usually from the Old Testament law, and saying, here's how, if you really want to be a Christian, here's what you need to do. Here's if you want to be a good Christian, if you really want God to save you, you know, yes, believe in Jesus. But then there's all these other things, you know, the way you dress, the way you talk, you know, the way you worship, when you worship, what Bible you read from, you know, what type of church you go to, all these different things. Today it would be, 
Do you wear a mask or do you not wear a mask? You know, are you vaccinated or are you not vaccinated? How do you vote? You know, it would be all these types of things. And, and, and they lay them out like a gauge to your standing before God. You, oh, you believe in Jesus? Hmm. And they usually beat people up over it. They beat a harp on it like a barking dog. It's like those issues are more important than Jesus. So they talk about those issues more than they talk about Jesus. And, and they attack you like a dog if you don't comply, snapping their teeth. I go on walks in my neighborhood a lot. Uh, I like it. It's usually a good, just part of my quiet time. I like to pray and meditate. I roll over the passage for the week, you know, in my mind while I'm walking. And, and it's peaceful. I, I love it. I love doing it. And, but sometimes I'll be walking along and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, some... <laughs> like I'm just like enjoying the morning and just all this kind of stuff. And there's this dog like a few inches away from me behind the fence or up on the fence. If they wanted to, they could, it probably could pounce, jump over and, and pounce on me. And it's extremely jarring. And you know, what's the dog thinking? The dog's thinking, you know, why is he doing it? He's like what are you doing here? You don't belong here. This is my territory. You know, that's what he's doing. And, and it, and there goes my peaceful time with the Lord. And I'm just like, stupid dog, you know, and, and legalism, legalism can be a, a severely jarring thing like that. These people with, with their, their, demands and their extra doctrines and putting stumbling blocks in front of you from just rejoicing in the Lord. Here you are. You're a Christian. You are just, it's so good to know that God loves you, that he sent his son for you. And you, you're just glad to know Jesus. You're just glad to know that your sins are forgiven, all of them. And you're excited because you love grace and it's sweet. And then comes along some legalist. Oh, you're a Christian, huh? Well, what Bible translation does your church teach from? Is it the King James or what? Or is it one of those other ones? You know? And, and huh. Do you watch movies? Kind of, do you listen to secular music? Do you listen to secular music? You know? Who did you vote for? You know, all these things. No? You, di- you don't? You didn't? You do? You know, whatever it is. You don't really, you sure you belong here? You sure this is really where you, you know, God must, I don't know. And, and that's what they're doing. They're just barking. And, and Paul says, watch out for them. They're out there barking and snapping. And he says, and don't be bothered by them. That's the whole point of this. Don't, don't worry about them and their barking and their teeth. They're, they're going to come across as being the, the ones that are truly right with God, the real covenant people with God. That's what they, you know, and, and if you want to be the real covenant people with God, you need to get, you know, you need to line up that way too. But if, and Paul says, you know what? If you just simply rejoice in God, with, re, worship God in the spirit, if you rejoice in Jesus and, and don't put confidence in the flesh, don't let their barking bother you. When I, when I go on my walks now, if I, Remember, because I know where some of these dogs are now, right? I know where they are. So if, I, if I'm not too lost in thought or something, I can prepare myself. And then it's like, 
Okay, it's still annoying, but it doesn't make my heart stop and make me almost die. I can prepare myself and be like, okay, this dumb dog's right here. It's fine. I'll walk on this side of the street now. And so, and it's like that. If, you, if you're ready and aware, and he wants us to be ready and aware, these dogs are out there. They're out there. Just, just be ready for them. Don't let them jar you. Rejoice in the Lord. They're going to bark. They're going to snap their teeth. Just rejoice in the Lord. And then uh, the next thing is that confidence in your own works is a no-win game. It says in verse 4, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence of flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. At the end of verse 3, Paul mentioned having no confidence in the flesh. And then he uses the same phrase in uh, twice more in verse 4, the phrase confidence in the flesh. And so this is another joy robber that we're to be aware of. In fact, it's, it's kind of the main barking point of these legalistic dogs. They're, what they're confident in is their performance. They're confident in their good deeds. They're confident in their religious rituals that they do in the flesh. There's nothing spiritual about them. They just do them. And, 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 it, and they're confident that when they do these things, it will improve their standing with God. And Paul says, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't do it at all. Now, isn't that the kind of isn't that the kind of isn't that kind of like the kind of thing that a loser would say, you know? Or yeah, don't worry about how you live your life, you know. Isn't that something a sinner would say? Just trust Jesus. You can do whatever you want. Isn't that something like a sinner would say? Kind of like how if you lose the game and and you just say, ah, it doesn't matter that you lost as long as you had fun. I don't know. I kind of beg to differ with that. I I want to win when I play, but. But, but no, Paul makes it abundantly clear. That's not what he's doing. If he was doing that, he wouldn't have said what he said next. What he says next is, he says, what he's basically saying here is, if, hey, if anyone wants to play this game of being self-impressed, of being self-confident because of his fleshly accolades and his performance, if anyone wants to play that game, I'll play with you. I'll beat all of you. That's what he's saying. And he lists out a bunch of things that he could, li- he could legitimately brag about if he wanted to. I was circumcised the eighth day. Let's just start from the very beginning. The rituals, I got rituals from the be- very beginning. I was circumcised the eighth day. The Ju- Judaizers want circumcision. Got it. Check. And then of the stock of Israel. And he says this because not all Jews were born Jews. There are some Jewish converts. Paul's like, I'm born, bred, 100% pure Jewish. That's me. And, and by the way, I even know what tribe I'm from. I'm from Benjamin. You want to talk about tribes? I'm from one of the baddest tribes there is. You don't want to mess with a Benjamite. I'm from Benjamin. And then he says, and a, a Hebrew? I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, he, I'm, not, I'm not one of these worldly, 
you know, the Hellenization, the Greek culture spreading, you know, a lot of people got world, you know, they got influenced by the world. I'm not one of those. I am. I'm still all out. I'm not worldly Jewish. I'm not, you know, ashamed of my Jewish, Jewish. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he says, concerning the law, you want to talk about the Bible? I'm a Pharisee. I know the Bible, I, I, and I don't just know what it says. I think I'm supposed to keep what it says. I, you know, that's what it meant to be a, a Pharisee. I'm not, I'm not one of these liberal believers that says, oh, the Bible says this, but I don't care. I do this. He says, I'm, I follow the Bible. And he was serious about his religious practice. And he says, zeal? You want to talk about zeal? You know how zealous I was? Before I got saved, I persecuted the church. I'm like, what? You're going to go against you know, what, uh, what we believed before? No, no, I'm not one of these lukewarm, apathetic type believers. I'm zealous. I'm all out. That's what he says. And then he says, and concerning righteousness from the law, blameless. Pick out something. You point it out to me. Show me what I've done wrong. I, I dare you. That's what he's, all this he's saying. And, he, and he's saying all this is, these things are legitimately on my spiritual resume. That's what he's saying. But, to be clear, he's not saying it in order to play the game, in order to one-up others. His purpose in pointing all these things out is you shouldn't want to play a game like that because there's always going to be someone else who comes along and can make you look... You think you're some spiritual giant, but someone else is going to come along and show that you're actually a spiritual pygmy. And that's what he's saying. You know, someone can always top you. And the thing is, that's really true of every area of life, right? I mean, there's always somebody bigger, smarter, better, faster, better looking, more successful, you know, you know, and you learn that as a kid, you know, you get, you get to sixth grade and you're like, I'm a big guy, I'm a big shot, I'm a sixth grader, everybody else here is below me. And then the very next year, there you are, you're seventh, or you're eighth grade, no, I'm great. And then next year you're a freshman and, and it just goes on and like, on like that through life. You know, you... You, you, uh, all these things have, you get a promotion at, at your work, but now you're at the bottom of a new level. You know, all these different things. You get a better car. They got the newer model with more bells and whistles. All these things. I'm going on vacation to, you know, San Diego. We're going on vacation to Hawaii. You know, all just on and on and on. And, and, and it's no different when we try to look at our lives and our goodness or our spirituality in light of our works, there's always going to be somebody better. I got saved when I was 20. Really? Why'd you wait so long? I got saved when I was six. You know, I haven't drank in 20 years. I've never drank. You know, you just, all these things, you could just do this all day long. And Paul says, it's lame. It's lame. Don't do that. Someone's going to come along and, and, and all that confidence in your flesh, all that stuff that you're patting yourself on the back for, it's a losing game. Forget it. Forget thinking that way. Forget thinking, well, I'm a better Christian because I've never this and I've always that. Or God's got to be happy with me because, I mean, look at, look at me compared to them. And, and someone else has more and, than you. And then if you play that game, so for maybe for five minutes you're above somebody, and then it won't be long until somebody else comes along and you're back to that joyless living. Oh, what a failure I am. And, and so just rejoice in what Jesus has done. Just rejoice that he took poor, miserable sinner that you are 
And, and he just loves you, and he wants to save you, and he does that. Okay, so putting confidence in the flesh is a lame idea. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for thinking highly of yourself. But, but here's, the, here's a question. What of all those things that Paul had? Like in and of themselves, they're, they're not negative. They're not bad. He just said a bunch of good things about his life. And, and we, some of us can say, you know, maybe you have something like that. Maybe you have a few things. Are we supposed to act like they're not true? Are we supposed to deny the reality of our lives? Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you walked with the Lord as long as you know. Are you supposed to act like that's not a good thing? You know, are you, are you, are you supposed to pretend, you know, it's a good thing that you remained pure until you got married and you've never done drugs and you never cheated on your... T- are you supposed to act like that's not a, not a, not a good thing? No. Uh, is, that's not the point. Paul, here's what the point is. The point is that we're supposed to properly evaluate our works in light of Jesus. And it says in verse 7, But what things were gain to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Did you notice there the word count and counted in uh, verses 7 and 8? I've counted loss. I've counted all things lost. I count them rubbish. The, the word means, this is how I think of them. This is how I consider them. This is how I value them. And here's how the New Living says, verse 7. It says, I once thought all these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So all those things that Paul used to think made him better or special or above others, things that made him look down his nose at other people. He said, I don't think of them that way anymore. In fact, he goes on even more emphatically, he said, and it's not just those things. Really, he's, he's, he's saying, I think of everything differently now. Everything. And then he says maybe one of the most graphic statements in the Bible he says, I don't just consider those things loss. It's more than that. I count them as rubbish. Now, that sounds like trash. But it's even more, it's even more powerful than that. Because the Greek word that he uses for that our translation says rubbish is dung or excrement. That's the word he uses. And, and that's what he says. It says this in... Uh, uh, Isaiah 64, 6, it says, we're all like an unclean thing and our, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And, and the apostle Paul's saying that he's, he's saying, yeah, I used to be so impressed with my religiosity, you know, my spiritual accolades. And, and they're, they're still a part of my life. There's still things that I did and went through, but I see them totally differently now. I used to look at them as something to put on a trophy in a display case, like a trophy. And now I see it like something that needs to be flushed down the toilet. 
And, he, and, he, and that's what he says. That's, that's what he's saying here. What, and what made the change for him? It wasn't just that he got up one mor- morning and went, I don't like that anymore. I'm gonna, you know, that's not what it was. Uh, a paraphrase of verse 8 here is helpful. He, he's basically saying here, everything else is worthless when it's compared to the infinite greatness of just knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've tossed everything else aside. Compared to him, everything else is excrement. You know, there's stronger words, but you get the point. Paul's saying, I met Jesus. I met the Savior. I, I met the Son of God, the Lord. And everything changed. I see everything now in light of him. I see the, I, I used to look at the way I tried to save myself. Now I see the way that he saves. I see his great salvation. And it's so much better than all my efforts, all my works, all my religion. And so, yes, all those things are still true of me. I'm still a Jew. I'm still a Benjamite. I was still circumcised the eighth day. But now I look at him differently. I reevaluate everything based on this new criteria that it's all next to Jesus. It, it's no longer me. It's not, I'm not comparing things to me or my progress even or me next to other people. It, it, and, and then being able to go, I'm pretty, I'm pretty impressive. He says, I'm done looking at things that way. And I see everything in a new way. And, that, and that's the way, really, every Christian should be looking at it. Jesus, he's the value. He's the criteria. He's the standard. I love street tacos in Mexico. Oh, they're so good. I, I don't know what they do down there. Some sort of taco voodoo. I don't know what it is, but they're so good. You, you know, just, I don't know if it's, I always joke, maybe they just, never ever wash their pans and it's like this magical seasoning that just, you know, I don't know, but they're the street tacos anywhere, you know, and, and, uh, to me, no taco in America compares. And the thing is we have pretty good tacos in California. We got, you know, really good tacos. You talk to people in other parts of the country and they're like, there's no good Mexican food here. There's lots of good Mexican food in California, but, but nothing compares to a street taco in Mexico to me, nothing. And, and so that's the standard. All tacos are judged by those tacos. And, and in fact, most tacos are ruined because of that. I'm ruined for tacos. And, and that's what happened to the Apostle Paul. He got ruined. He got ruined for Jesus. It a good, it's a good thing. He got a taste of Jesus. He got a taste of real love, real grace, real salvation. He, the works of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, all that. And, and, and then every, and because of that, everything else, it, all that he thought was, oh, this is so great. It just became garbage, crud. And the Bible says to us that we should taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and when we get a taste of Jesus, when we, when we really do, it, it does that to everything else. And we evaluate and evaluate everything else because compared to him. Because nothing does compare to him. Nothing does. Not even remotely. And here's the thing. There's a lot of Christians out there who are joyless simply because they're not, they're not, they're still counting their efforts in light of themselves, in light of 
what they think about themselves, in light of what they used to be, in light of the people that they're around. They have this standard that's not that's not good, and so they, you know, they 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 look at their performance that way as something great, and you know that's like comparing a real Mexican food to some microwave burrito or something like that, and just. No, don't do that. Look at Jesus. Look at who he is. Look at what he's done. Look at his grace to save sinners. Without anything deserving of it, that's what he does. And he's good like that. Every one of us could use a higher view of Jesus and a much lower view of our own performance and our own works. And when we do, we, we're... we're creating the right mindset for real joy. If we don't do that, joy is going to continue to be elusive. Oh, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this, or I'm better than that. Oh, they're better than you. And it's going to be elusive. But when we look at everything in light of Jesus, look at how he saves. Look at who he saves. Look at how he loves. Man, joy will arise. Uh, the... Final point is that Jesus is, he's the goal. Jesus is the goal. Verse 8 again, in the middle there, it says, I, count, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so here Paul concludes that it's not just that Jesus moves me to stop thinking highly of myself, Knowing Jesus also makes me want him more and more than anything else. Listen to all the ways that he says it here. It's really powerful. He says in verse 8, that I may gain Christ. That's what I want. I, the, the gain means I, I, I want to acquire. I want to win. I want to have. I want Jesus. I want him to be mine. And, and then not just uh, to be mine the way that, you know, I don't know, my treadmill is mine, but it's sitting in the garage unused, or some people have a gym membership. Yeah, I have a, I have a gym membership, but you wouldn't know it, or something like that. Not like that. I, I want Him. In verse 9 it says, I want His righteousness. I don't want my own righteousness. I want His great holiness to apply to my life. I, I want... What he provides just by me simply believing in him, not what I think I can do. And, and, and not only that, I don't just want what I can get from him. And yes, I get righteousness from him. I want to know him, he says in verse 10. I, I don't simply want what he can do for me and give me, although I'll, I'll take it, I'll love it. I, I want to know him. I don't want to just know about him. I don't want just facts in my head. I, don't, I want deep, personal, experiential fellowship with the Lord. I, I want regular, ongoing 
fellowship and relationship with Jesus. And and not only that, but verse 10, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know resurrection power. I know what futile religious effort power is like. I've been doing that for a long time. I don't want that. I want to know his power. I don't want to know how strong I can be or how hard I can try. I want to know how powerful it is when he is really Lord of my life and I just follow him and and know him. I want that. And, And I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. That's a crazy statement. We're, we're very, you know, it's in our nature to avoid pain and dif- discomfort and hurt and every type of inconvenience there is. But Paul's saying, look, Jesus suffered. He suffered. He did that for me. And if suffering any pain or any loss helps me to know him better, because now I know this is what it feels like, and he did this for me willingly, well, then now I know him better. And so he said, I want to know that. I want to know that. That's how much he wanted to know the Lord. Even if it leads to my death, he said, I want to conform to his death. I want to die the way he died, faithfully, obedient, trusting God. That's how I want to die. I want the resurrection from the dead. Amazing. This is what he's saying. And, And saying these things, Really what the Apostle Paul's doing here is he's laying out the purpose and the goal of the Christian life. While we're here on earth, this is the purpose and the goal. It is all about Jesus. He's the way and the truth and the life and the goal and the purpose and the all in all in everything. That's what he is. And and Paul realized this. He said, this isn't about trying to look good or be better than other people or earn anything. It's not about making something of myself or proving anyone anything to anyone or trying to rise up is better. It's about Jesus. That's what this life is about. Knowing him as deeply as I can in every possible way that I can. And, and, and if anything gets in the way of that, whether it be sin or just some twisted idea of how great I think I am because of whatever, he's, that needs to go. Because nothing, nothing is as awesome or even remotely as glorious and amazing as just knowing him. Just knowing him. Nothing I can own, nothing I can achieve, nothing I can experience, nothing that I could impress others with, or nothing compares. And not just knowing him, but knowing him in every way that I can possibly know him, as much as I can possibly know him. No thought I have about myself that, or you can have about yourself compares to just knowing him. All the efforts I put in, all the accomplishments, all the ways that I think were good, or all the things that I think were a total failure. Anything that I think commends me to God or pushes me away from God, compared to just knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior, it doesn't even compare. And so... With all that stuff, get it out of the way, Paul says, and now I can just focus on him and making him known. I want to know him. I want to make him known. I don't want to try to be some rule follower. I don't want to demand a bunch of rules on everybody else. I just want to know Jesus. I want to know how much power can be in my life by just following him. I want to know how much he suffered for me. 
I want to do those things. All our religiosity, our self-focus, it all keeps us from really knowing him. Every bit of it. It diminishes. It diminishes. Look, if you think, if I think that I need to do this and then God will love me more, then it takes away from how much he just loves you. If I think that I have to never do that to be saved, then that means he's not as great a savior as he really is. So I don't want any of that. I just want to know him and follow him and trust him and get rid of the filthy rags and the, the, the dung. And I, I just want Jesus. So take it all, take all that other stuff away and just give me Jesus. That's it. That's it. And that's the offer to everyone. Hopefully that's already our heart if you're a believer, but if, if you're not a believer yet, that's it. This is what maybe one of the most religious dudes who ever lived concluded. Jesus is better. He's better. I want him. Take all of the rest of that stuff away and just give me him. And you can do the same. Maybe you're here and you're like, I got all kinds of trophies that I think make me awesome. Or maybe you're here and you're like, I got nothing. I got nothing. Doesn't matter. Jesus offers to be your Lord and your Savior for free. He just loves you. And you can receive him. Just believe. Just believe. Jesus died on a cross for your sins. That's how much he loved you. He rose again to prove it. And he said, if you believe in me, you'll be saved. So believe in him. And for anyone here who struggles with legalism, because it, it can be a struggle, especially for people that we're serious about the Bible. We love the word of God. It's good. We read it a lot. It's, you know, sometimes it's a struggle to, to not be legalistic about it. We don't want to be legalistic about it. We don't want to be Pharisees. We don't want to be dogs. We just want Jesus. Ask him this morning. Maybe that's where you're at. Just, Lord, more of that. Help me to count all my religious effort and legalistic tendencies. Help me to count it for what it is. It's garbage compared to you. Just give me you. Pastor Paul Stockinger, lead pastor at Calvary of Hayward. Again, information available on the web at calvaryhayward.com. That's calvaryhayward.com. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website, to Church of the Week at SalemSF.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to Church of the Week at SalemSF.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week.